0: So while I love exploring varied views and get a buzz from a healthy debate of ideas, this is not a purely blue-white-green program. Please subscribe, tune in and enjoy the politics of everything. Big tech has a massive role in our our modern existence. Some of it's positive, life-changing even, and some of it's perhaps concerning. Our digital footprint is everywhere, all day, every day. Have you ever thought there was an option devoid of going completely off the grid? I have at times wondered. Data tracking is the process of selecting specific metrics and events to track, then collecting, organizing, and analyzing the resulting data. A few years ago, both Google and Facebook started sharing location tracking information with various authorities around the world in order to help them plan their COVID-19 containment strategies in the pandemic peak. The aim was to ensure that they were addressing key areas of concern. But it begs the question, is that an overreach of their mandate? Privacy pundits did worry. Enter David Sinclair, founder and CEO of 4Freedom Mobile. David is a seasoned veteran in the telecommunications and technology industry and has dedicated his career to empowering individuals to take back their digital freedom and protect their personal information. 4Freedom Mobile is a leading provider of privacy software and services with users in over 80 countries around the world. David's mission is to help people connect, communicate, and live their lives free from tracking and surveillance. I warmly welcome David to the Politics of Everything.
1: Thank you very much, Amber, for having me.
0: Podcasting remotely can be challenging, but it doesn't have to be. Since day one of the Politics of Everything, I have relied on Zencaster's all-in-one solution to make the process quick and painless, the way it should be for those of us who just love great content and want to get our ideas out into the world. If you know me, I'm obsessed with quality in terms of my guests, my sound, and everything about my show has to be great the first time. I'm time poor. It's so easy to use Zencaster. I'm not tech savvy, and you don't need to be either. There's nothing to download. Just click on the link, and off we go. Zencaster is all about making your podcasting experience easy, and with everything from local recording to automate post productions now in their toolkit. You don't have to leave your browser to get that episode done and done fast. I have a special offer for you and I hopefully you can experience what I have with Zencaster. Go to Zencaster.com forward slash pricing and use my VIP code, the politics of everything, all lowercase in one word, to get 30% off your first three months of Zencaster Professional. How good is that? I want you to have the same easy experiences I do for all my podcasting and content needs. It's time to share your story. Okay, so your early career ambitions. Did you want to be in something techie? Were you a computer kind of kid? What was your sort of early idea of what you did and did you land there?
1: You know, when I was a little kid, elementary, junior high, I was into computers and and that sort of thing. As high school came along, of course, I started pursuing other things, sports and girls and stuff like that. But, you know, growing up, I was always interested in international stuff just it fascinated me i had a father who for his work traveled a lot and traveled around the world and would come home with stories about india and sudan and amsterdam and and other places around the world and you know i always wanted to get out and see the world yes. i didn't know what i wanted to do but i wanted to do that
0: yeah absolutely well that's fascinating and obviously um your business is now global It's a given that everything can be monitored, tracked and traced from, you know, ATM withdrawals where we take money out of the bank to cell phone records. For e-commerce marketers, there is digital tracking, which is part of their consumer behavior monitoring, if you like. And I think sometimes we kind of just give permission, you know, you kind of get a new app, you let them say, yep, great, I'm happy to have geolocation tracking or IP mapping or you accept cookies every time you go onto a website, for example, just so you have access to that product or service. What do you see as the biggest challenge facing those big tech companies right now? And how do you think that can be overcome? Because obviously we're becoming more savvy and we are saying, well, actually, is this something I have to do just to access what I think I'm paying for anyway?
1: You know, I, I don't really think that the big tech companies are facing a lot of challenges these days because what I've seen with the big tech companies is they're getting to do pretty much whatever they want to do and they're working very closely with governments as as you talked about in your introduction to enable those governments to get access to the kind of data that they collect and so i don't think that they really have a lot of challenges i think the challenges are really on the side of the consumers you know how do we get the benefits that we want from working with these companies While at the same time, still maintaining some semblance of privacy and and freedom around what we can say and what we can do and who we associate with and those sorts of things. That's where I see the the, the, the really the big uh, questions today.
0: Absolutely. Well, that's interesting. So I guess many of us do accept that tracking and surveillance is something that is just part of how we create our digital lives, if you like. And, you know, whether that be online grocery shopping or, you know, buying some fantastic new app that's going to help us write our university essays, if that's the sort of thing you're into. But it's convenience and it's access and it's instant. And we all kind of just get caught up in it, how do you view that? And is there an example of what we can do as consumers to empower ourselves more and still stay connected?
1: You know, this is really the the big question that I began looking at a few years ago. So previously in my career, I actually was implementing systems for mobile operators and for government agencies to monitor and track people through their mobile phones. And I left that career because I, I realised it was getting to be overreach, uh, an incredible amount of overreach. And, and so back in 2019, I actually started researching this issue a lot. You know, how do we stay connected, uh, but in a sense off the grid at the same time? And there's a lot of different offerings out there that are, you know, each solving a, a niche part of the problem, you know, whether that's a, a VPN to encrypt your internet activity or, or these other offerings that are out there. But th- that, that's really what led me to founding my company for Freedom. For Freedom Mobile is a mobile service provider that essentially what we do is we secure your mobile phone and uh, try to prevent anyone from being able to track you or your activity through your mobile phone. You know, today we provide unlimited talk text and high speed data with coverage worldwide, including the U.S. and Australia, both uh, as, as well as 200 other countries. And the whole idea here is to enable users to use their mobile phone as a smartphone, what it was originally designed to be, instead of it being a tracking device. So that may be making phone calls to your friends or speaking with your doctor, or that may be going out, the the ability to go out onto, for example, even a Facebook, but without having Facebook collect all of the data from your phone.
0: Absolutely. So I'm just curious, and obviously you don't have to give away all your trade techie secrets, but when you started the business, was there some opposition because you're having to access, I guess, certain amounts of information to allow you to build the product and service that you you now provide? Did you come across some sort of pushback from big tech or how does that work with the authorities perhaps as well? Like what's what's the ramifications, broadly speaking, for people engaging with your service?
1: You know, I, I'll tell you, it's, it's been an interesting walk down a very fine line. The U.S. is one of the few countries in the world that allows companies to issue phone numbers to people without collecting their national ID information.
0: Yeah, wow. Um, That's quite different uh, to Australia.
1: Exactly. Most countries uh, around the world require you give you give a copy of your passport or national ID card. Yeah, whenever or your you get a license SIM card.
0: or driver's license or whatever it might be. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Exactly, exactly. And and, and so there's that part. And then there's also, um, uh, at least in the US, which we're, where we're based right now, the there's certain laws that apply to telecommunications providers that don't necessarily apply to internet service providers. So telecommunications providers are companies that provide voice and SMS service, as well as they may provide data to. And they're required in the US, and and this is true really in almost every country in the world, including Australia, that they have to collect every single phone call and every single text message you send or receive and keep a record of that uh, on hand for at least five years. Now, most of them maintain those records for seven to 10 years. And they have to give the government access to those records anytime the government asks for, it, for that. And the government doesn't require a subpoena or, or a warrant or anything like that. They just have the right to go in and look at those records. And you may not uh, even know that, right?
0: Like you, you wouldn't necessarily oh, be aware that's happening.
1: They specifically forbid the operators from telling the users that they're looking at those records. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And so they have access to those records all the time, the government does. What we've developed, though, is a platform that while you can make a phone call to anyone you want using our service we're not officially a telecommunications provider because we're using data encrypted data Uh, it's a data only service so we're not actually using voice or sms technology and and so that enables us to be able to provide that capability but without having to do all of the tracking that the government expects of their traditional mobile service providers if you will
0: yeah Uh, so it's
1: it's you know, it's, it's been a very fine line that we're walking in, and we're still walking it, quite frankly. You know, it's, it's one of those things where every day the situation changes. So if the government shows up with a subpoena asking for information on a certain uh, user's account, you know, our users sign up anonymously. All we have is an email address and their phone number, and we can provide that to, to the government. We don't know their name. We don't know anything else at all
0: yeah wow, that's I mean that's good for us to know, because I think a lot of people aren't really aware of the nuance of that at all. Like we just sort of assume everyone's doing the right thing, which you know can be very naive, but yes, at times. what What role do you think the government does have in protecting our privacy, and obviously every jurisdiction and every country will be different? And I guess from a, you know, opposing point of view, it has to be balanced by things like we need to be able to track online scammers or drug syndicates or, you know, people who are into child trafficking. There has to be a balance so that, you know, that actually can be used for for good purposes as well as everyday surveillance, if you like. Is there any way that we can achieve that more equitably in your view?
1: So I think every society you know every every country makes its own decisions in terms of the balance between freedom versus surveillance and security if you will I think that there are a lot of ways for government organizations to track people other than just tracking their mobile phone yes right and other than looking at every single activity that they do on their mobile phone you know it, it's really not the government's business where did you sleep last night right and oh yeah by the way who was in that bedroom with you which if both your mobile phones are in the room, the government knows that, right? I don't think that's, a, that's their business. Now, there are a lot of other ways, though, to track things. So the, the government's big focus, of course, usually in doing investigations of things like drug cartels or human trafficking is they follow the money, bank transactions and the such, or crypto transactions. That's really the primary method. And you know they don't need access to our phone records to be able to, to know all of that information.
0: I agree. I mean, I think most people would prefer people not to to know that stuff. I think it's just, you know, I think at times, you know, from, I guess, from a policing point of view, for example, it's been helpful to be able to know through social media or through your phone that, you know, that particular criminal activity is happening in that warehouse, in that city, and then they can kind of, you know, intervene in a way that perhaps 30 years ago, I imagine that kind of detective work was far more manual and and long-winded and perhaps, you know, as a result, cost more money for the police, but also took longer to solve a crime. So I guess I'm trying to sort of advocate for, for both aspects being important, obviously balancing our personal privacy, but if you're doing the right thing, but if you're doing the wrong thing, being able to actually make sure that we are able to use the tech for good, if you like.
1: Uh, no, absolutely. And, and if, you know, the, the the issue is that the vast, vast majority of the population are just normal private individuals doing whatever they do every day. And there's really no reason for the government to collect their information and to be spying on them, if you will. And then there's a very small percentage of the population that are doing things that they shouldn't be doing and that the government needs to, to, to investigate. And, and that's, you know, the, the key is striking the right balance there.
0: Yeah, and I think that will always be the challenge. Changing tack a little bit, what's your personal favourite big tech platform and why? Is there something that you are using? It could be new, it could be old, could be very niche that you think has been quite life-changing or life-enabling for your business perhaps?
1: <laughs> you know.
0: Don't say TikTok because only the 14-year-olds are on that. <laughs> well, in my house anyway. <laughs>
1: Well, you know, I, I'll, I'll tell you, not all 14-year-olds are on that. I've got a teenager at home as well. But uh, uh, I, I, I'll say, though, that I'm not a big fan of big tech, but I have to admit that we do do a certain amount of shopping on Amazon. Oh, there you go. Uh, it so- is convenient.
0: Come on. During the pandemic, I mean, those sales went through the roof for online venues, I think.
1: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and you know, we've always been big readers. And so even from the very beginning, when Amazon was just doing books, it, it was already a big uh, platform for us. So I, I've always been a, a fan of Amazon, but at the same time, I'm not a big fan of the way they track all, everything that I do. Yeah, so, absolutely. And, you know, and there's got, got, got to find other, a way to strike a balance. There. Yeah. And
0: they've also got, you know, had a history of issues with, you know, not great employee conditions and all the other aspects as well, which I think, that often happens in any big company, whether you're in the tech space or somewhere else where, you know, to create economies of scale and keep being profitable, you um, sometimes cut corners, which I think most consumers don't like. We'd rather pay a little bit more and know that the staff are being paid well and the conditions are good.
1: No, absolutely. You know, We, we all want to get our prices very low but at the same time, we don't want people to have to suffer to, 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 to make that, that
0: happen. Absolutely. Particularly while people at the top are obviously billionaires. So uh, we digress a bit, but it's, uh, it's good to kind of think about these things, I think, more deeply. What's the best advice that you've ever been given? And it could be personal or professional. Who was it from and why was it such great advice for you personally?
1: You know, I, as a kid, we all heard kind of that Uh, advice around, you know, find something you're passionate about and and you're never going to work a day in your life. Uh, To get that more realistic though, I actually had a manager at one point who said to me, listen, if you come home from work over a two week period, nine out of the 10 days, you come home from work and you're happy with what you're doing. You maybe have one day where you came home and you weren't happy, then you're doing the right job. If you're coming home from work though, any more than one day out of every couple weeks and you're not happy, then you may not be in the right job and you should really look at that. And, and that was, you know, for me, that was really important because that kind of set me on a course of, okay, you know what, I I really need to reevaluate. What am I focusing on? What am I doing from a job perspective? And at the time I was in a, in a headquarters job uh, in a large uh, tech company. And I realized that wasn't where my passion was. My passion was about getting in front of customers and and, and dealing directly with the customers at the customer site and talking with them. And so I eventually ended up moving around the world to various positions in, in, I've lived in a dozen countries now and worked in probably over a hundred in jobs where I was at customer sites, dealing with customers every day. And and I love that kind of job.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's good. That's always good to find work which aligns not with, just with your passions, but I guess, you know, aligns with your values and all the other pieces as well. If we spoke in a year's time, David, what would be your number one goal to have achieved and why?
1: You know, I am really passionate about helping people to realize that they don't have to give away all of their personal information to get the benefits of a modern economy, right, to get the benefits of all these tech companies are giving us. You don't have to give away all your privacy you don't have to give away your right to freedom of speech, freedom of thought, freedom of association. And you know. so my number one goal, I would say, would be really to help make that topic a big piece of the national conversation in as many countries as possible. Uh, make that a, a big topic where people are really expressing their opinions and able to express their opinions. Because... You know, I, I can't speak to Australia, but I suspect it's similar or if not worse. You know, we've had a real issue in the U.S. in the last couple of years where people have felt like they don't have the right to express their opinion. They fe- don't feel safe doing it. They feel they're going to be ostracized for expressing their honest opinion. And so they self-censor. Mm. And, and I think that self-censorship is is about the worst thing possible for the development of a society. Yeah,
0: absolutely. You know, people yeah. have to
1: have the right to be wrong. Yeah. You know, and and not be punished for life because they were wrong once. You know, that's the greatest thing about having a free country is everyone has the right to be wrong.
0: Yeah, and have their (laughs) own and change their mind. And change your mind. I sometimes I do think you know the tech world has made that worse in some ways. I think people are very different in social media engagement as they would be in real life. Not always, but a lot, a lot of the time, there's a bit of anonymity and you know overreach, which I think happens you know, on Facebook and other platforms when people are having arguments, which if they're in the same room would probably be at much more moderate in some ways.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I think one of the key points people forget is that most tech companies, Facebook, Google, et cetera, right? They're advertising driven business models. And, and you think about the old TV advertising business model. What was their business model? It was get as many eyeballs looking at their channel as much as they possibly could and the way you do that with tech platforms isn't by just by showing entertaining material although that that can help what they realized you know google and facebook ran research on this back 2008 to 2012 and they published a lot of that research where they showed that if you show people content that makes them happy they'll watch it they'll go away and they'll be very happy if you show people content that plays on their fear on their uncertainty on their doubts they're going to stay engaged, they're going to stay watching, they're going to react to it, they're going to engage with it. And so the tech companies today have a vested interest in playing on our fears, and in pitting different segments of society against each other. And and I think that's really the biggest threat today to democracy and and, and a stable society is the fact that you've got these very large corporations who have a vested interest and I don't blame them. They're commercial entities, right? They've got a vested interest in fragmenting society into groups that are opposing one another. And, and, And I think as long as we don't recognize that, as long as we don't take a step back from what we're doing on these tech platforms and the way we conduct ourselves on these tech platforms, You know, I I think that things aren't going to change. And and we really need to recognize the fact that in some ways I feel like the tech platforms are playing us for their own benefit.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. Uh, Takeaway message for us as we wrap up today on the politics of big tech.
1: I'd say the number one takeaway would be that, you know, you don't have to give up your privacy. You don't have to give up your freedom in order to have the benefits of a modern technology. You know, and 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 if you'd like to learn more about it, you know, please. There's lots of information out on the internet. One location you look for more information is our website, forfreedomobile.com. But it, more than anything, just engage in that conversation. That you don't have to give up your privacy and your freedom in order to get the benefits of big tech.
0: Absolutely. Well, if you do want to connect further with David Sinclair, there will be some details on the show notes. It's been a fantastic conversation. Lots of things for all of us to consider, as always until next time do take care thank you so much thanks so much for listening today if you've enjoyed the politics of everything i thrive on your feedback so please add a short review and share the podcast with your network through apple spotify and all the usual suspects i'm always on the hunt for new and diverse guests so if you or someone you know has a fresh idea you're busting to get out there please email me at amber AmberDanes.com and my crew will get back to you very soon.